Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fireside Poems. I'm Dr. J. Today's episode is the chapter Hiawatha's Sailing from Longfellow's The Song of Hiawatha. The Song of Hiawatha is fashioned out of Native American stories and traditions, particularly the stories and traditions of the Ojibwa people of the Gitche or Lake Superior region of North America. Longfellow learned these stories and traditions from studying contemporary anthropologists, particularly the writings of Henry Schoolcraft, who lived among the Ojibwa and was married to a part Ojibwa woman, Jane Johnston, who knew Ojibwa stories and traditions firsthand and could translate for them in conversations with other Ojibwa people. Hiawatha's sailing presents a tradition more than a story, as it tells of Hiawatha's fashioning of a birch bark canoe, an object of both usefulness and beauty, the product of the superb craftsmanship of America's native culture, which we celebrate not just this week, but all this month and throughout the seasons of the year. The materials for the canoe, the bark of the birch tree, the wood of the cedar tree, the roots of the tamarack, the resin of the fir tree, the quills of the porcupine, called hedgehog here, used for the canoe's ornamentation, and their uses are still the materials and uses traditional canoe builders use today. A second Native American tradition is also present, one essential to the tradition of canoe building but also one that is fundamental to Native societies in all their aspects, a tradition of respect for and interconnectedness with the natural world within which they exist. The materials used in the construction of the canoe, like many of the materials of their daily lives and sacred rituals, come from living things, and when taking life from living things, Respect and acknowledgement are necessary for the relationship to continue. Let's listen, beginning with Hiawatha's address to the birch tree. Hiawatha's Sailing From The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Give me of your bark, O birch tree, of your yellow bark, O birch tree growing by the rushing river, tall and stately in the valley. I, a light canoe, will build me, build a swift chimon for sailing, that shall float upon the river like a yellow leaf in autumn, like a yellow water lily. Lay aside your cloak, O birch tree, lay aside your white-skinned wrapper, for the summertime is coming and the sun is warm in heaven, and you need no white-skinned wrapper. Thus aloud cried Hiawatha in the solitary forest by the rushing to Quanamaw, when the birds were singing gaily, and the moon of leaves were singing. And the tree with all its branches rustled in the breeze of morning, saying with a sigh of patience, Take my cloak, O Hiawatha. With his knife the tree he girdled, just beneath its lowest branches and just above the roots he cut it, till the sap came oozing downward. Down the trunk from top to bottom, sheer he cleft the bark asunder. With a wooden wedge he raised it, stripped it from the trunk, unbroken. Give me of your boughs, O cedar, 
of your strong and pliant branches, my canoe to make more steady, make more strong and firm beneath me. Through the summit of the cedar went a sound, a cry of horror, went to a murmur of resistance. But the cedar whispered, bending downward, Take my boughs, O Hiawatha. Give me of your roots, O Tamarack, your fibrous roots, O larch tree, my canoe to bind together, that the water may not enter, that the river may not wet me. And the larch, with all its fibers, shivered in the air of morning, touched Hiawatha's forehead with its tassels, saying with one long sigh of sorrow, Take them all, O Hiawatha. From the earth he tore the fibers, tore the tough roots of the larch tree, closely sewed the bark together, bound it closely to the framework. Give me of your balm, O fir tree, of your balsam and your resin, that I may close the seams together so the water may not enter, so the water may not wet me. And the fir tree, tall and somber, sobbed through all its robes of darkness, answered wailing, answered weeping, Take my balm, O Hiawatha. Give me of your quills, O hedgehog, all your quills, O cock, the hedgehog. I will make a necklace of them, and two stars to deck her bosom. From a howl tree the hedgehog with his sleepy eyes looked at him, shot his shining quills like arrows, saying with a drowsy murmur through the tangle of his whiskers, Take my quills, O Hiawatha. From the ground the quills he gathered, all the little shining arrows, stained them with red and blue and yellow, with the juice of roots and berries. Into his canoe he sewed them, round its waist a shining girdle, round its boughs a gleaming necklace, on its breast two stars resplendent. Thus the birch canoe was builded in the valley by the river, in the bosom of the forest, and the forest's life was in it, all its mystery and its magic, all the lightness of the birch tree, all the toughness of the cedar, all the larches, supple sinews, and it floated on the river like a yellow leaf in autumn, like a yellow water lily. The Victorian art critic John Ruskin criticized what he called the pathetic fallacy, the attribution of human emotions to non-human elements of the natural world, whether clouds or daffodils or whales. These emotions are not of the natural objects, but of the poet projected into the natural object. This can be fine, he says, as long as that's recognized, but it's not fine, but rather false when we feel that the emotion is a quality of the natural object. Thus we can write of the cruel sea, but we mustn't allow ourselves to be led into the belief that the sea is actually cruel, but that we experience it as cruel. Ruskin's criticism helped transform poetry and the Western world from Victorian to modern, in which the sea is merely indifferent to human beings though indifference is itself a human emotion. But the emotions of the different trees in the porcupine and Hiawatha's sailing, so finely and in the case of the porcupine, humorously individuated, 
are not the projections of either Hiawatha or the poet, nor are they personifications or metaphors. They are attributes of the natural things themselves, traditionally represented not literally, but poetically. This understanding of the natural world has been a possession of most, if not all, traditional societies, and had been an element of Western culture, the one that steadily diminished as it tended to impede the exploitation of what we call natural resources, until by the 20th century a more scientific attitude has made it impossible. But ours is a society considerably estranged from nature, with often destructive results. For us, the Song of Hiawatha is at best romanticism and at worst condescension, but we characterize it so at our own and nature's cost. Let's listen again. Hiawatha's Sailing from the Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Give me of your bark, O birch tree, of your yellow bark, O birch tree growing by the rushing river, tall and stately in the valley. I, a light canoe, will build me, build a swift chimon for sailing, that shall float upon the river like a yellow leaf in autumn, like a yellow water lily. Lay aside your cloak, O birch tree, lay aside your white skin wrapper, for the summertime is coming and the sun is warm in heaven, and you need no white skin wrapper. Thus aloud cried Hiawatha in the solitary forest by the rushing Taquamana, when the birds were singing gaily, in the moon of leaves were singing, and the tree with all its branches rustled in the breeze of morning, saying with a sigh of patience, Take my cloak, O Hiawatha. With his knife the tree he girdled, just beneath its lowest branches and just above the roots he cut it, till the sap came oozing downward. Down the trunk from top to bottom, sheer he cleft the bark asunder. With a wooden wedge he raised it, stripped it from the trunk unbroken. Give me of your boughs, O cedar, of your strong and pliant branches, my canoe to make more steady, make more strong and firm beneath me. Through the summit of the cedar went a sound, a cry of horror, went to a murmur of resistance. But the cedar whispered, bending downward, Take my boughs, O Hiawatha. Give me of your roots, O tamarack, your fibrous roots, O larch tree, my canoe to bind together, that the water may not enter, that the river may not wet me. And the larch, with all its fibers, shivered in the air of morning, touched Hiawatha's forehead with its tassels, saying with one long sigh of sorrow, Take them all, O Hiawatha. From the earth he tore the fibers, tore the tough roots of the larch tree, closely sewed the bark together, bound it closely to the framework. Give me of your balm, O fir tree, of your balsam and your resin, that I may close the seams together so the water may not enter, so the water may not wet me. And the fir tree, tall and somber, sobbed through all its robes of darkness, answered wailing, 
answered weeping, Take my balm, O Hiawatha. Give me of your quills, O hedgehog, all your quills, O Cog the hedgehog. I will make a necklace of them, and two stars to deck her bosom. From a hollow tree the hedgehog with his sleepy eyes looked at him, shot his shining quills like arrows, saying with a drowsy murmur through the tangle of his whiskers, Take my quills, O Hiawatha. From the ground the quills he gathered, all the little shining arrows, stained them red and blue and yellow with the juice of roots and berries. Into his canoe he sewed them, round its waist a shining girdle, round its bows a gleaming necklace, on its breast two stars resplendent. Thus the birch canoe was builded in the valley by the river in the bosom of the forest, and the forest's life was in it, all its mystery and its magic, all the lightness of the birch tree, all the toughness of the cedar, all the larch's supple sinews, and it floated on the river like a yellow leaf in autumn, like a yellow water lily. A traditional Ojibwa canoe, now in the U.S. we commonly say Chippewa instead of Ojibwa, though Ojibwa or Ojibwe is still the name most used in Canada, a traditional Ojibwa canoe is a work of superb craftsmanship incorporating knowledge and skills passed down through the generations long before French Catholic missionaries first arrived in the upper Great Lakes, indeed long before Columbus first dropped anchor in the Caribbean. The canoe is at once utilitarian and beautiful made so by makers with a need for both. We have mostly separated beauty from usefulness in our culture today. In this way, Longfellow is more akin to the culture he represents in the Song of Hiawatha than he is to our culture today. He too was a craftsman, making poems both beautiful and useful, useful to us in maintaining our humanity and our connection to the natural world. I hope you enjoyed Hiawatha's sailing, and that you'll join me again next week for another episode of Fireside Poems, and visit this podcast's website, firesidepoems.com, where you'll find previous episodes and also my email address. I'd love to hear from you, to learn a little bit about who you are and what you like as you join me each week by the fireside. The quills of the porcupine, called hedgehog here, used for the canoe's ornamentation, 